Hi, you're listening to Elevate, the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. I like sharing the return on that, the connection you get, the way that people return that vulnerability is really beautiful. There's just no one-size-fits-all parenting for anyone because your children are so individual. All of the reading I've done on adolescents, it's really about having compassion for what they're going through. They can do everything in their power to make it really hard to love them. Welcome to the Elevate podcast, a series designed to explore teachings, ideas, and thoughts on empowering young girls while celebrating difference. I'm Ramita Anand, your host, teacher, and educational mentor, and I'll be chatting with insightful activists, thought leaders, creatives, and all-round brilliant champions for girls. Through these conversations and my work at Elevate RA Mentoring Services, I hope we can join forces to foster meaningful connections in order to alter the narrative around what being different, especially for young girls, signifies. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Elevate podcast. I'm very excited to introduce you to my guest today, who is the most lovely Courtney Adamo, an inspirational mother of five with kids who range between the ages of four to 16. After 12 years of living in London, followed by 18 months of extensive travel, she now is very happily settled in Byron Bay, a small surf town on the east coast of Australia. A creative businesswoman, a blogger and an author, she has worked in the parenting lifestyle arena for the past 14 years. Courtney very thoughtfully creates e-courses and e-books for parents and carers who can access her wealth of beautifully created content from anywhere in the world. As many of her subscribers and I would attest to, Courtney has a great gift in thoughtfully bringing relevant, heartfelt, rich information together and presenting it warmly. Whether you're home with your kids looking for inspiration and ideas to keep them entertained, or you're homeschooling your children or supporting them in distance learning, or even perhaps if you're a working mother from home or a full-time mother or parent or carer trying to juggle all of the above, her books and courses offer a collection of tried and tested ideas and activities that have engaged and helped many, many families. Her ebook in particular includes ideas for crafts, cooking, books, games, and things from home learning and educational activities, which she has very helpfully bundled together from all of her favorite ideas, tips, resources, and inspiration. Courtney also offers a series of online courses, which range from Ways to Nurture, a five-part course covering family, home, food, travel, and lifestyle, Blossom, which is to help in the early days of motherhood, a three-part course covering the topics of pregnancy, birth, and the first year of postpartum. And probably the most relevant and aligned with the Elevate mission is her course on tween and teen years, which I had the great pleasure of taking not too long ago. This is a three-week course for parents with children anywhere from ages 8 to 18 years of age and or for anyone who is interested in understanding and helping the teens in their lives. The course is packed full of great information to help us navigate adolescence, which, as many of us are experiencing and know all too well, is an extraordinary time of development, growth and change for our young people. Courtney believes that the more we can learn about what's happening in their lives, minds and bodies, the better parents, carers or mentors we can be. 
Understanding what's going on for them is key to showing up for them during this crucial time in their lives. And I could not agree with her more, which is why I'm so grateful that Courtney has put this wonderful course out there for us all to learn from. I am so excited to dive into this conversation with you. A very, very warm welcome to you, Courtney, to the Elevate podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much for asking me to be here. It's a pleasure to be talking with you. Oh, well, I wanted to know, actually, first of all, how you are, because I know this few weeks, particularly for you and your family, and then Australia generally, which is where you're based, we're talking, well, I'm in London and you're in Byron Bay. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, and you've had various lockdowns, uh, followed by floods, and of course there's now war in the world, and kids, and accidents, and gosh, you've had it all thrown at you at once. I just want to check in and see how your busy life, and it's probably an understatement to say you're a busy mum, but um, (laughs) one of the things I've sort of noticed from the outside, and getting to know you a little bit, even just through your online community, is that you seem to handle everything with such ease and a sense of calm. How do you do it? Oh, that's really lovely of you to say that. It's certainly, I think if you asked my children, they'd probably um, laugh uh, at that description. <laughs> doesn't always feel calm here. There has been quite a lot thrown at us. I mean, I think there's been a lot thrown at everybody around the world right now. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess it's just about taking one day at a time. I actually feel like, I don't know, I don't know if it's just me personally, or just what's going on with us and our family, but I feel a little bit like, uh, I'm feeling positive, like things are maybe have turned a corner, and are getting better. It's still pouring rain here, which is really depressing. Um, We've just had the wettest year. um, Like it's not was since we've lived here, definitely the wettest year, um, which is a bit depressing. But but yeah, anyway, it feels a bit more positive. Well, I'm pleased to hear that through all of these tumultuous times, you've still managed to smile through it. And you're sitting here with me today and telling me you're feeling positive, which is a great message for, for all families, I think, is that, you know, this too shall pass is a, is, a good, is a good motto to keep going. So I wanted to talk a little bit about your upbringing and your childhood and talking a little bit about what you were like as a young person, where you grew up, and maybe giving us a little bit of an insight onto what kind of student and young person you were. Yeah, I'm, I grew up in a big family, so I'm the eldest of five kids, um, which is purely coincidental that um, I went on to have five kids, actually accidental, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious. Yeah, so I come from a big family and um, I grew up on a farm sort of quite removed from from anything else and we spent a lot of time just outside. We were quite outdoorsy. Was that um, in America? Yes, in America. Sorry, I should have said. Yeah, so the very northwest corner of America, so just below Canada, actually. I grew up in a really, it was a really, I have a really close family. I was really close with my siblings and my parents. I had loads of cousins um, all around me. So my dad was one of, or is one of 10 children. Yes, yeah, so the family was really central to to my upbringing and that was sort of my childhood and then I somehow went on to leave home at 18 I went to university in Chicago which is like a four-hour flight from where I lived and um, I haven't lived at home since then which um, yeah it's, it's since I was 18 so yeah and then we we moved to 
my, I met my husband and we moved to London in 2002, I think. So it's been nearly 20 years since I've actually lived in America. Do you find yourself identifying with each of those parts of your life? I'm a little similar to you. So I've lived in Canada, London, and a little bit in Asia and America, actually. But when people ask me where home is, do you consider home now Australia? Do you feel very settled where you are today? Yeah, I, I do. We do feel like this is home. And um, actually, we feel like we it could be a place we stay forever, which feels really nice and grounding. And And I've actually never felt that way before. So that is sort of nice to have that feeling. But I guess if I still, my husband makes fun of me because I'll still say home as in, you know, where my family is. Like I'll say, I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm planning to go home (laughs) um, this August um, because my sister's actually having a baby. So it's funny that word home because even, you know, we traveled for 18 months before we moved here and we would refer to home as wherever we our suitcases were basically being kept, you know, whether uh, an apartment in Buenos Aires or um, a cabin by the ocean in Chile or a camper van in New Zealand, like that was our home. And so we've gotten so used to calling where we live home, but sorry, that's a very long winded way to answer that it, it is for us very complex where home is. And also because four of our children were born in London and you know, our eldest was 10 when we left. And so he, you know, our children still feel British, really, which is funny because, you know, I guess we also have British passports. We all do, but they feel that way. And I don't know, it's very, and I think my youngest born here will probably always feel Australian. So we have a mix in our family. But it's, a, it's such a beautiful sort of celebration of being global citizens and what it means to embrace so many different parts of your experiences and where you live and where you're brought up and I suppose forming identities as a family and like you say that your children will have a different experience to what you have um but what I wonder then is how similarly you've managed to replicate what your childhood looked like to what you're creating today for your family in in Australia would you describe your life in where you are today and the decision you took to a create have a big family. I know you said it was slightly accidental, but did you always <laughs> did you always want a big family? Did you always feel that because you grew up from a big family that you would want to have one yourself? I always did want a big family, and actually, I always wanted um, four. Um, it kind of took some convincing to get Michael to have the fourth one, um, and then, um, as I joked um, previously, it, the fifth one was was truly an accident and that actually threw us um really like it really rocked our our sort of marriage and and our family dynamic and um obviously we're incredibly thankful for for that he's part of our family and we can't imagine it any other way but yeah that wasn't planned but we I did always want a big family and it's so interesting I think because I grew up I really loved my family. I, I, I'm still really close with my siblings and I love spending time with them. And, and I think that has definitely shaped how I, what I want for my kids. And, um, you know, I, I really think they're so lucky to have each other because I really feel that way about my own siblings. 
my next question was going to be, how does having a big family impact you as a person? But it feels like you've just answered that by saying that the values you gained from the closeness with your siblings is what you want to pass down to your own kids. Yeah, definitely. And, and I'm, I'm often telling them and, and using my own childhood kind of as an example for them, you know, when my children fight, for example, I can say, well, I remember feeling that way with my siblings, or I remember when my sister and I used to fight, but, you know, and then I always sort of bring it back to how thankful I am to have those relationships with my siblings and try to really get my kids to understand how lucky they are that they have each other and how, what a gift it is to have a sibling and to be so close with your siblings. And especially as we spend so much of our time arguing and fighting the siblings, which turns into the love and things later as well. But yeah, I can imagine sometimes convincing them of that. Yeah, I think those are, those are so important. You know, I remember, I've said this before, but I remember in London, you know, I, um, I always kind of think of London as sort of those hectic early um, parenting years. You know, at one point I had three kids under the age of four and, you know, life was incredibly busy and, we had four kids quite close in age. And anyway, I remember bathing my kids all in one big bath and, you know, they would inevitably fight over who got to sit next to the faucet and who got which toy. And, you know, it was like this negotiation and learning to share and arguing and deciding which one was going to win. And you would just see, it's, it's almost like an analogy of life with siblings is how wonderful and we really are so shaped by our siblings and we learn so much from them all about, you know, just having compassion and having to negotiate and having to share and having, you know, all these really wonderful, important life lessons you learn. And where you are in the order of of birth order as well, sometimes can play such a role in how you. Oh, hugely. Yeah. I've, I've been, I've always been fascinated by birth order and probably because I am from a big family, but I, I actually took a, a course, like an entire class at university. It was called the psychology of birth order. And it's so fascinating how our birth order, our, our rank in our family does determine so much of who we are. Yeah. Isn't that, it's so powerful. And it's so interesting to look back on that as, as they are growing and they are becoming the people that they are to think, Oh, what does that mean for them when they become a full adult? You know, and, and I, I question that sometimes as well with my own, because I'm the eldest. And I think that played a big role for me in, in how I almost can't let go of that. I'm the boss rule. <laughs> I'm also the eldest. So I, I completely relate to that and see it definitely with my eldest as well. So a lot of the people that are listening to this podcast are moms, some of them are dads too, but a lot of the moms that I speak to or work with when I work with the young girls and their families are the ones that seem to relate to, to everything I'm going through because I, when I teach the young children, because I come at it as a teacher and I have a lot of empathy as a mum for everything we're going through in terms of trying to raise our young adolescent children. But I wonder, and, and not only, you know, it's like you say, we have siblings as well. We have other children in the house to deal with, not just our teens. And I wanted to ask you if you had any advice on ways to balance your time with your husband and then with the kids and for yourself. That's the one thing that I think most mums find hardest is compartmentalizing their day so that they are devoted or equally committed to each of their children then their spouse or whoever else is in the house and also sometimes looking after their own parents and looking after their elderly 
is there do you have tips on that because you you seem to do it so effortlessly <laughs> oh gosh I, I I don't know I mean it's it's tricky because obviously there are days where you just feel pulled in every direction and you can never give enough to everybody who needs a piece of you and I mean I felt like that just this evening when Michael was cooking dinner I had three different kids who needed something from me all at the same time. And that's really normal in, in a, any family to feel that way. And I think like there's a lot of pressure to, to try to give each of your children enough of your time or one-on-one time. I agree that it's a good thing, but I don't, I don't think it needs to be each of your children needs a special day out to go spend, you know, you don't have to carve out hours of time. I think it's really more the, the small moments and being really aware and conscious in that moment. That's more what I think it's about. For example, just if I think about my day today, I did French braids in Marlo's hair while she was actually eating her breakfast because she was running a bit late. And that was just 10 minutes where we just had 10 minutes together. And there was a lot of chaos all around us, kids running in, grabbing a lunchbox. Where is this? Have you seen my shoes? Blah, blah, blah. But I was just trying to give her that 10 minutes of my time just so she knew I was really present with her then. I think that's it. I think that's really, they don't need you to carve out and give them special attention that can maybe add further stress to your day because there just isn't enough time for that or those small moments. I mean, I, my nearly 17 year old son, he does after school class on a Monday and a Tuesday. And so I have to go pick him up at 4.30. And I really enjoy that task because I pick him up and we drive home and we have 10 to 15 minutes in the car, just the two of us. And it's such a special time together. And you know, because he's now practically an adult, you know, he's very independent and he works and he does, he's quite busy and he loves his social life. And so that 10, 15 minutes twice a week is really huge for me to be able to check in with him and ask him questions. And I think that's really it. But also you did say in your question, you asked about my husband and a partnership. And I have to say that we are so lucky the way that our setup is now, because when we lived in London, we had more of a traditional setup where he would leave early in the morning, go to work, you know, get all dressed up, all fancy, go out to work, come home at seven in time to maybe read the kids a story and put them to bed. And I was mostly home with them. But now we both work from home. And so we're both here every day. And we really, really, it's really, really balanced. He does as much, if not more than I do. He's super hands-on. And so I'm so lucky that I don't bear the burden of the parenting. And also that we spend time together. Like the kids all went to school today and we did yoga for half an hour before we sat down to our computers. And so it's really lucky. And I, I know that that's not normal because it certainly wasn't for a lot of our time. But yeah, it, it is what we have made be normal here. And I, we've sort of prioritized that. You've just hit on a really good point though, right? And I think the pandemic's been a really good wake up call for us to all think about what our priorities are and what it is that we all want to place greatest value on. And I think time is the precious resource that we're all seeking. And I, and I think slowing down and 
and thinking about how to create a family life balance so that you're not as many of us mothers are burnt out. And that word phrase being burnt out seems to be uh, used quite commonly. So thank you. I think that's a really important thing to highlight. We lived in London for 12 years and we had busy careers and it's an expensive city. And we had our kids at a really lovely private school, which was super expensive. And, you know, we basically lived paycheck to paycheck. At the end of the month, we were worried there may not be enough money in the account to like pay everything we needed to pay. And it was stressful. And at a certain point, we just looked at each other and thought, this isn't what we want, you know? And I know it's a lot easier said than done to sort of do what we did, which is kind of, you know, uproot our family and move somewhere else. But yeah, I mean, we now live in a rural, pretty small town. And, you know, we don't have the benefits of city life, but we have a lot of time together as a family. And so it's just, I guess, what we've, like I said, what we've prioritized. It's amazing to see that you have managed to do it so well. And it does take effort though, right? It's a conscious decision. It's a very, yeah, it doesn't, things don't just happen. You have to make those come along for you, I think. And I know you've got this amazing blog, which I wanted to talk a little bit about the work that you do. It's so wonderfully written and it's a beautifully curated space with wonderful ideas of an inspiration on many areas of life and parenting. I think most of my listeners probably already know your blog because you've got such a great following. But anyone new to Courtney's blog, um, I would really encourage you to check it out. But I would love to ask you how it came about. Was it to do with your personal experiences as a mum, just wanting to document them? Or would you like to speak to a little bit of how you got started in this area of work? And probably before blogging was even I don't know yes. <laughs> what it is today. <laughs> I guess it's completely evolved naturally and organically. And I started with two other mums. We started a parenting blog called Baby Chino. Ah, was that you? Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was back in 2007. And I remember very clearly, nobody knew what a blog was at that time, you know? No, that's the year I had my first child. So I remember, oh, really? yeah, that's 2007. Yes. That's so funny. Okay, I didn't, what a funny <laughs> So that was my first like entry into the blogging world was with that and And so there were three of us and I was in London and Esther in Amsterdam and Emily in Paris. And so we were writing all of us sharing our discoveries and, you know, recipes and crafts and parenting life and all of that. And so we did that. We've actually, Baby Chino has been running since 2007, so 15 years. And so I've been doing that for a long time. And then obviously things changed. And at a certain point, we we had created a shopping portal. So it was like a directory of online children's shops. And that became quite big and busy. And and then when I left London, I started a travel blog. So I started documenting our family travels and it became more personal, you know, just our family and uh, where we had been and sort of highs and lows. And And then, yeah, so in the last three years, I've been mostly kind of putting my efforts to the the online courses so more more than blogging really I felt like blogging people were not as engaged with blogs you know at when we started they were and the comment section would be really engaging and people would comment on other people's comments and 
But obviously, as people got Instagram and other social media platforms, people stopped really engaging with blogs as much. And so the courses were sort of a way for me to create communities with real, true connection and engagement. I think that's my favorite thing about those online courses is that I get to connect with mothers all over the world. And it's like an intimate group setting where you share and ask. And I feel really safe in that space to share really, you know, people ask questions and I, I, I literally, there's no question. I, I don't feel comfortable answering in that space, which is the really, and other people share as well. And it's, I mean, I guess that's what I've always really loved about what I do is just this idea of sharing and connecting with other mothers and learning from other mothers. And it's really humbling, actually, learn how, I don't know, just how we all are just here doing, you know, and we do things differently, but you're all there with the same goal of parenting and being on your children, you know? Of course. No, it's really nice. So were you a natural writer and a natural creatively? Because your photographs are always so inviting and warm and your interiors inspirations are always very exciting as well. So I think you draw in a, a large number of parents and mothers and you build a nice community because of the fact that possibly you share so openly and authentically. Yeah, I do think that. I, I think I have a few friends who are on Instagram and they have, you know, they share a lot on Instagram, but they don't feel like being quite so personal. And it, I think in return, you don't really get the personal connection back where it's just quite, I don't know. I, I've always been that way though. So I've always felt very open. You know, I, I don't really have secrets. I could, uh, or I'm not like a, actually it's interesting because living in London, I found um, that quite different you know most British people I think are quite reserved and they don't just share everything (laughs) Um, (laughs) and in some ways I kind of learn to adjust to that but I like sharing because I think the the return on that the connection you get the way that people return that vulnerability is really beautiful yeah, I relate to that too. I, I remember coming here from Vancouver and I think Van- Canadians are very friendly and open as well. And some of the, some of the uh, other teachers I used to work with, I think found me ridiculous. <laughs> so like, what, what do you have for breakfast in Canada that makes you so lucky? And I was like, I, I, don't, I don't know. I think it's just, so it is, isn't it funny how cultural sort of backgrounds can change the way you or shape the way you are and what you're willing to, to do. But I suppose my next question then is, talking about this and, and being so open and sharing things. I mean, there, there are ups and downs in motherhood. And I wondered if you wouldn't mind sharing some of the lessons that you think are one of your greatest lessons that motherhood has taught you. And do you use your work as a way of, I don't know if it's cathartic or therapeutic or helpful, because like you said, it's humbling that you get to then connect with other people. But what are some of those lessons that you could share with us today? I think one of the biggest things for me and probably because I have so many kids is just really seeing how different they are. So each one of my kids is so incredibly different and I feel like I'm constantly learning, you know, like I have a 17 year old boy and a 15 year old boy and I'm just at my daughter is just about to turn 13 and you might think I sort of am starting to get the hang of this teenagehood you know, of adolescence. And obviously I've studied it for the last two years and I run a course 
um, to help parents learn how to engage with their adolescent children. And, um, and yet I continue to learn because they're all so different. And so it's like there's no, there's just no one size fits all parenting for anyone because you, your children are so individual. And, and I guess like the more, I guess the older my kids get as well, the, you know, cause they're really turning into their own people. And even though they are their own people when they're toddlers, they really, you really start to understand that as they get older. And you just, I think it's really, again, it's quite humbling because you just realize you're there as a mother to guide this human. You know, you're not there to control that child or raise a good human or raise a well-mannered person. Like you're really there to, to get to know them and to coach them into life. Like it's, you just can't like, I don't know. I actually used to give parenting advice when people would ask me, you know, cause they, so many people would say, Oh, well you, you have five kids and you know, you obviously, what can you tell me how I should put my baby to bed? Well, their baby doesn't want to sleep in the cot. And, and I just don't feel it's almost like the more kids I had, the more I realized how actually unqualified I was to give parenting advice because it's not, there is no, I cannot, you know, your circumstances, your, your children, they're so different. And I also like, I had four kids, none of them threw a tantrum. And I honestly was so smug. I thought it was me. I thought I was just like really doing a good job parenting my toddlers because none of them threw a tantrum. And then I had Wilkie and he literally, I think threw tantrums until about, I don't know, in the last year, like he, he no longer thankfully throws tantrums five years old and finally stopped but it completely humbled me Courtney that's so so funny I had exactly the same thing I would sit and you know I love the fact that your blog was called baby Chino but I was sitting in a cafe for the baby Chino with my two-year-old little daughter and she was as good as gold coloring away and honestly I would sit there going this is all me I've created this amazing human <laughs> and then along came my son it was so different. And you talk about the fact that you've been through and, uh, you know, obviously what we do at Elevate is talking about adolescence and you think you know the teen years because you're now almost at, at an adult with your eldest. So you think you know what you're doing with the others that are coming through it. But you, we were talking earlier that you're finding that you're relearning it again because your almost 13 year old daughter is presenting so differently. So now Ivy, she will be 13 um, this week. And it's again like so different because she, she's a girl there's definitely things about it um yeah and I'm just I'm just but again she is her own person and and she's come to teach me something too you know but definitely um yeah it's interesting like I, I, I it's hard to explain but I find um yeah yeah there's a lot to learn child yeah <laughs> I think one of my other guests once said to me and I think I've held on to it and maybe this is the advice that we should pre keep reiterating is to parent the child in front of you and do it from a place of love not fear and that's just been my kind of almost my mantra since I've heard it it's just a beautiful way of and I think that's exactly what you're echoing really is that you've got one two three or five kids it doesn't matter if, if you are parenting a child, look at that child, who they are and allow them to be the person that they are becoming, I suppose. I think the biggest key in terms of parenting an adolescent child is 
just having compassion. Like it's really, I mean, that's what I've learned in all of the reading I've done on adolescence and all of the talking to experts and talking to parents and all of this. It's really about having compassion for what they're going through. And in some ways, adolescence is really, it actually, we know that they're going, that their brain is changing. You know, we know the science behind the changes happening in their brain. And in, it's like, it's actually, I have found it actually really helpful to have so much compassion for them because they can be at times quite unlikable. You know, they can do everything in their power to make it really hard to love them. You know, some more than others that trigger, know how to trigger certain buttons. But I always come back to just like, they're go, you know, I can almost visualize their brain and how it's growing. It is. I, I have a model of a brain that I bought the other day just to help remind myself this is this is my team. This is her mind going through all sorts of things. And I use it a lot in, in the Elevate program to talk to parents when I work with their young girls. It is such a hard time for parents. It is really difficult. And I suppose for you, not many will have the age ranges that you will have because you've still got the youngest. How old is your youngest? Yeah, he just turned five. Five. So you've got the needs of the five-year-old and then you're trying to navigate the emotional changes and the hormonal changes of your teenager. It's tough, I think, on, on a lot of parents. And I, I guess that brings me on to my next point. Like, what are your views on mom guilt? And I think a lot of women, myself included, who are cons- get consumed by this. And so we might have a moment where we lose our senses because our teenagers are being so unlikable or our toddlers having a, a tantrum at the same time as our teenagers throwing a wobbly or whatever it is. How do we alleviate ourselves from some of this pressure? And I know you used to use the word compassion, but sometimes I wonder if we have enough compassion for ourselves. One thing I try to remind myself of is like, like I'm not trying to say I never have mom guilt. I have it probably every day, several times a day that you know I may have lost my patience or um, shouted too loud or, um, didn't say the right thing or didn't listen when that child wanted my, you know, it's like a million things you can beat yourself up about, but I don't go to bed. I guess, I guess I don't allow that guilt to compound. I take that moment where I may have done something wrong and actually try to use it to connect again with my child. So, you know, and and that's what's really amazing about adolescence is that they're able to reflect back on, you know, another thing that I've learned about the adolescent period is like, never try to solve the problem or teach a lesson in that heightened emotional state. You know, if they're shouting and they're angry and they're la la la, I think it's just best to go and, you know, you're probably shouting back or whatever. It's best just to kind of leave it and come back to it. And, you know, those moments where you may lose your temper or you weren't as patient as you wanted, that is really important for kids to see because that's real life. Like we're all human. And going and saying, hey, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have lost my patience, you know, or I, I probably shouldn't have said that thing or, you know, that's really important for kids to see. And that's the lesson. That's actually a better lesson for them than if you're always perfectly patient. I think you're, yeah, you're right. I think psychologists refer to it as rupture and repair. So actually having, having that combustion, but then owning it and going back to your child um, and admitting, and that maybe that isn't easy for some parents. I think it was 
probably quite hard for it, depending on how you grew up, but certainly in Indian culture, where in, in my family background, you don't admit to being wrong and you don't say sorry that often. So it was it was something I had to really unlearn and then relearn for myself as a parent. I don't know how how easy it comes to lots of adults, but yeah, I, I think what you say is really important that those perfect leave it to beaver type families where nothing goes wrong ever maybe isn't healthy. No, and and I mean, uh, this is probably not great for me to say like in a recorded interview, but you know, uh, it's sometimes every once in a while, if I shout like where I shouldn't have maybe got shouted and lost kind of my, those moments where I really see like my kids go, oh, okay. Like she's angry. And it's almost like they can kind of have a bit of compassion for what I'm going through too. And not that you need to shout to get to that point, because obviously we all try not to shout, but those little moments, that's just human, you know, when you're, especially if you're approaching it, like from a place of love and understanding, and you're not just like constantly shouting at your kids. I suppose, although it sometimes it does feel like that, you know, that you're just nagging and shouting or, or being a, I, I don't know, it's very hard. I find myself wishing I was a bit more fun mom again, or I don't know, it just, it does feel hard sometimes. And I do, I think I use those moments with myself too at the end of the night where I don't let myself lose sleep over anymore. I used to, but thinking about, okay, I owned it. And then I actually went in and recognized that I it wasn't the best, best way to deal with this, but this is a human characteristic. <laughs> nobody, nobody is infallible. Nobody is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And you learn too, you know, and yeah, I think that's, parenting like we're all we're all just constantly learning and trying to be a better human really each day it's true um which which leads me on to the other thing we're both I know we share a mutual desire to learn and better ourselves with because um having been on the receiving end of one of your courses I know how much amazing knowledge that you put and how much time you put into these courses so I would as I said in my introduction earlier I would highly recommend looking into Courtney's fantastic work she brings in all sorts of wonderful guests to talk to us about the different areas of growth and development for our children and you and I are both in a world and almost in a career where social media is part of how we reach our audience, how we share what we're doing. Yet we've also raising people that are grappling with raising kids and we're entering a, a world of digitalization for our children that we didn't grow up with. So I wondered how you balance that for your family and your ch- career, knowing that there is so much good in social media as well. And the, the digital world is offering us a way of connection that we previously didn't have, but then also knowing that there are some dangers and some worrying facts, which we all have, uh, know and aware of. And I know you go into great detail in your course, but I wondered if, if sometimes in your personal thinking about what you use it for every day, how that informs your decisions about what you let and don't let your children do. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I think this is one of the trickiest things about parenting in this sort of age that we're in, um, where our kids carry around like a mini computer in their pocket. You know, it's um, and because we didn't as parents, I mean, we didn't when we were their age. You know, yeah, when we were there, when we were kids. So we don't even have an experience to draw upon. We don't really. We can't look at our parents to understand, like, learn from how they did it, and. And because it's rapidly changing, we have to constantly learn. And I think it's really tricky. 
What I learn from speaking to experts about this in terms of adolescents who are on their own mobile phone and um, you know screen time is just the importance of balance. So it's not that screen time is bad. It's not that mobile phones are bad. It's not that um, social media is necessarily bad. Um, they all have upsides and downsides. But I think that what I've learned is that the m- most important thing is just the balance that you have so that your kid can, you know, even if your kid is playing a video game for half an hour, what you want to do, what the aim is, is to l- ensure that they then have half an hour outside where they're in a park or climbing a tree or playing with their friends or playing at the skate park or whatever it is. That's important. So it's not that that's bad and, you know, good or bad, but it's just trying to create this balance in their life. And I really feel like that in, in how I use my phone and how I use social media. I, I think definitely for me, like within work, there are periods of my time where I'm really busy with work and I'm quite consumed by being on my phone. And through my courses, I engage with the um, subscribers, with all the parents on basically social media. So I'm on it a lot during those times where I run those courses. But those three weeks don't feel so balanced. But it's about just having the awareness of what that balance feels like and trying to achieve that. So I don't know, I, I, I kind of just have this We've gotten in a good habit of, you know, switching our phones off before dinner. I don't really pick it up again um, until the next day. Phones never come in our bedrooms. We just sort of try to have this balance. And, you know, weekends are really precious in our family. We try really hard not to get on devices. I mean, obviously, sometimes we'll open a laptop on a Saturday night and watch a Netflix film or something. But it's not that we're working on it or we're answering emails on a weekend. Even with your kind of large community of followers or you must get inundated with DMs or messages. I mean, you don't feel this sort of, because teenagers often feel like, I just had a message, I have to write back to her right now. And, you know, when they, when I see my teenager with that sort of incessant need to respond or immediately ping someone back if they've pinged her. I wonder, and I think many adults may or may not have this, but you seem to have struck a really good sort of boundary between you and your work. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I feel like that. Yeah. And my husband as well. I remember when my husband was um, kind of talking to the the boss of the company he works for about getting this job. And, you know, he, it, he he's in a really good position because he's really overly qualified for the role he has. So he kind of they really wanted him, you know, for the job. And he said, I remember overhearing him and he said, I'm OK with the job, but I do not do emails or phone calls after my work hours. Never. I'm not working in evenings. I'm not working on weekends. And I remember him just flat, like laying out the rules <laughs> before he even took the job. And I, he seriously does not. He will not. There is no exception for him. And so, and he has really great working hours. He works until four every day. And so from four o'clock, he's off. I often I'm out to the garden. He does stuff and, you know, he goes to the grocery store and he starts to think about what he wants to make for dinner and he makes dinner and he, and he's super hands-on, like I said before, like he is really good at being very intentional with his time and when the kids are around being very present. And I think that's something that, you know, it's not easy, but we really work on and 
I, you know, I work until 3.30. The kids get home from school at like 3.20. They know that for 10 minutes I'm on my computer finishing last bits. And then from 3.30 I'm present with the kids. And that's just sort of what we've, you know, I guess like, again, going back to what I said before, we've just really made that the priority for our family. Amazing that it's managed. It's a really nice example to see because even for myself, because I'm new to this world, I just left schools and had a very 3.30 like job. Obviously no teacher ever finishes at 3.30, but I used to leave my, my school and that was a physical separation from my job. But when I do things online or I'm recording things or doing things, I find, yeah, I'm, I've had to really, really work at how I, and having my children is a really good sort of incentive for me to work out how to prioritize timing and how not to dedicate things just because they've gone to bed that it's okay to open my computer again and and just reach out to this person or reply back to this email um I I do listen to Adam Grant a lot because he talks a lot about you know boundary setting and how you can rethink things and it's refreshing to have your take on this and, and your husband's take on it I think it will be something a lot of my listeners will hopefully also be inspired from because switching off and then how good it is for your own mental health but then also how good it is for you to be present for your children and then what it does is a knock-on effect in terms of role modeling for them is probably more beneficial than we realize well exactly and like what you said about our own mental health I mean I think that's you know it's not you don't realize actually what being on your phone more than you should does to your mental health I mean even just like leaving your phone at home when you go to the grocery store. We used to do that many years ago. (laughs) Or, you know, like I met a friend at a cafe last week and um, I was early and she didn't get there for like five or 10 minutes. And obviously the natural instinct is to pick your phone up while you're waiting. But actually, if you just sit there without your phone in your hand and look around, you, you just notice so much more, you know? And it's like, we used to live like that in and we just don't do it anymore. And it's not great for, you know, you constantly have something in your face and, and yeah. And like you said, there's always messages to answer, always emails to answer like that never ends. So, so yeah, you just have to draw a line. And, and also I think there's a lot to be said about talking about it. If you're feeling overwhelmed or I, I'm a big talker and a big, like sharing my feelings kind of person, and sometimes to the point where like my, I'll sit with my husband on the sofa at night and he can see that I'm about to talk about something. And he's like, do we, do we have to do it tonight? I'm tired. I just have to talk about things, you know? And so if, 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 if I feel like overwhelmed by something, or if I feel like the balance is off, or if I feel like he's not doing enough or whatever it is, I need to talk about it. I think you're right. I think internalizing any of these feelings is no good. So asking for help when you need it writing it out if you don't have someone to talk with who you know writing it out maybe I don't know but you're right and even conversations like this it's, it's so funny that we only met you know not long ago but I feel like I've known you for for years and I think it's just the fact that we share a lot in common by being open and honest about what we're going through and I think that in itself creates really nice well a nice relief for, for, for lots of us so hopefully this this interview will go out there and, and do the same for other other parents and, and let them feel like they're not alone and where everyone goes through some of these you know emotional ups and downs I wanted to ask you if you could go back to being a teenager and whisper something to yourself knowing what you know today about your life what would you tell yourself 
as we said, I'm an eldest child. And I think one of the things that riddles us as um, eldest children is just the pressure we put on ourselves. Um, and we just care a lot about what people think about us. It's a very normal characteristic <laughs> um, trait. And I, w- I just really, it's taken me probably until the last like year or two to stop. I mean, obviously I still care what people think, but it, it no longer dictates how I live my life or how I, what I do or, you know, because I just think that people are going to love you and there are people who are going to not like you. And there are people who are going to completely disagree with what, how, what you think and how you're doing, whatever. And you just have to live your life, you know, and that's all that matters. Yeah. I wish I would have learned that lesson back then when I was a teenager to stop caring so much what people thought of me. Amazing note to end on. It's such a wonderful message. It's so empowering. It's everything that we hope Elevate will do for young girls. So thank you, Courtney, because that's beautiful and um, really relevant, I think, for all of us. And I have to say, I'm exactly in the same boat as you. <laughs> I will echo the same thing. Only in, and it took me to my 40s to, to get to that place. I wish I had learned it earlier too. So I, I'm, I'm with you on that. And more power to us for keep reflecting on these things and hopefully sharing what we've learned with our younger generations. So just to end on, Courtney, if there was a listener out there that wanted to possibly enroll in one of your classes, because it's not just about teens. You, I, I said in my introduction, you run courses about different areas parenting you did courses on toddlers you did courses on pregnancy you have a wide range of amazing resources and information and I highly recommend people to look into them where would you would send people to find out more about your work yeah my website is just courtneyadamu.com and so all of the courses and my ebook and the travel blog and all of that sort of stuff is just all there otherwise you can follow me on Instagram. Again, it's at Courtney Adamo. And that's, that's where I am. It's a beautiful kind of Aladdin's cave of gorgeous things. So I would absolutely encourage listeners to go off and have a look if they don't already. I know you've got a massive community of of wonderful people who adore you. So thank you for taking the time and sharing your personal reflections and insights on motherhood, on being part of a big family, moving around the world and just being what it means to be human. (laughs) Yes. Oh, it's really lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much. Hi, it's been a while and I wanted to thank you for your patience. Since the last set of conversations we've released, I've published a book. I hope you already know about it, maybe even have it. I would love for you to share my new book, Girl Elevated, Five Steps to Empower Young Girls to Be Their Best with others teachers parents coaches your friends anyone who works or is raising young girls i hope this resource will be something that will be useful and helpful to many if you have had it and you've enjoyed it leave me a review on amazon because that will help lots of other people find this resource as well thanks so much for all your support and that's everything from us today Thank you to all of you for joining in and being part of these very important conversations. I hope you will continue to support our cause by sharing the podcast to raise awareness with others. If you get a moment and could rate and review the podcast, I would also be hugely grateful. I'd like to extend a very big thank you to Ryan Prestipino from the Pine Studios for all the hard work that he does to help me bring this podcast to all of you. Until next time, stay well and speak soon.
Bye for now.